0: This morning, we're in our series on the book of Galatians and a message that I call Learning to Walk Again. Learning to Walk Again. Verse 16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know, the book of Galatians contains a strong warning about New Testament believers being lured back into living under the Old Testament law of Moses. This was a fight, a fight for the very survival of the Christian faith, and the Apostle Paul knew it. The tone of the book, from beginning to end then, is uh, commensurate with uh, uh, such a huge battle that is being waged at such a crucial moment in time. The battle had already threatened Paul's life, brought him under persecution ultimately. He would be imprisoned because of it for several years and then die as a martyr in Rome. It's a good time to remind ourselves then this morning that the faith of Jesus Christ has always existed under opposition, very serious, vicious, determined opposition. The enemy resulted uh, absolutely determined to either corrupt its truth or to water down its truth so as to make it unrecognizable, ultimately to kill it out altogether. What we need to understand is that the current events that we all are experiencing in our culture today is just one more in a long, long list of things that has tried to stamp out the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. But aren't you glad to be able to say today that it's still doing really well? (laughs) And you know what? Jesus has promised that the faith will survive until he comes We'll talk more about that at the end of the message, but for now, we're very grateful that so many have stood, so many have taught the truth, learned the truth, stood for the truth, even when it cost them their lives. And now we enjoy it and experience it today. But the cancel culture in our world right now is determined. They are as determined as the enemies of the cross were determined in the first century. They are ruthless just like they are and they ultimately have the same goal, either to dilute the faith, water it down so as to make it ineffective, to change what you believe so as to comply with whatever it is that they think we need to comply to, ultimately to kill it out altogether. I want you to listen carefully. Those of you watching at home, uh, reach over. If you've got teenagers with you, reach over and nudge them. Take their phone away from them for a minute. It might be a battle, uh, but you'll, they'll survive it, and you will too. Because I want them to hear what I'm about to say. If there is no sin, there is no gospel. If you take the sin question out, so that you say that nothing is sinful anymore. And for the cancel culture, about the only thing that is still a sin is to call things sinful. And if you take sin out, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel. And you can't give the gospel. There is no gospel if it is not the gospel that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And so the effort to stamp out the idea that anything is sinful is a full-blown attack against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Along with this warning then comes a profound and positive message of encouragement. And today we're going to see that as we consider it under the the heading, the title of learning to walk again. And this is derived from the language of our text, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And from verse 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? You see, there was a time when the believers at Galatia were running along in their faith, they were growing by leaps and bounds. They understood the truth of the gospel. They were living it. They were standing by it. It was uh, very deeply ingrained in them, and they were growing in it. They were running in their faith. But they had been hindered. They had fallen into a trap. They had been grievously injured. And now they have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. We know about this, we know what it's like. Somebody has a stroke, for example. It affects their feeling on one side of their body, They have to learn how to walk again. They have to learn uh, where it was once an automated function. Now they have to tell uh, their foot to move. They have to tell their hand to open and close. They can learn to do this. It's a, a complicated process. It's amazing that medical technology can do it. But I'll tell you the first step of that, sometimes, you know, it comes because somebody has to have a knee replacement or a hip replaced. They have to learn to walk. But, of course, the first thing is what? They have to learn how to stand. That's number one. They've got to be able to stand. And isn't it interesting that right here in our text, the Bible tells us, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. You see, if you're going to learn to walk again, you first have to be able to stand. That's first thing, just to stand. And then it's take a step (laughs) without falling. (laughs) It's a big deal. For a long time, you might have to walk with assistance, either a walk or hold on to something. But if you stay with it before a while, that one step might become two. And then it's to walk across the room, down the hall and back, to be able maybe to walk around the floor. And any of you who've ever gone through this or gone through it with a loved one, you know what I'm talking about. The first thing is you have to learn how to stand, get your balance back, Then take a step or two. If you stay with it and you're blessed, you might even get back to running again. You see, the believers in Galatia had been severely affected by this spiritual malady, this error that had cut them down as far as their ability to make progress was concerned. Now it's time for them to learn to stand and learn to walk in the Spirit. See, it's not just a threat we'll see today. Uh, Not just a threat of going back under the law with all of its rules and regulations. That was bad beliefs. But it was also the threat of the possibility of bad behavior because the more you tell the flesh no, the more the flesh wants whatever it is that you tell it no to. Uh, If you don't believe it, put a chocolate pie in your refrigerator and say, don't eat a bite. You do that around my house, and I can almost guarantee you that when you get up in the morning, there's going to be a piece gone out of that pie. And that's even worse if it's Oreo cookies. (laughs) And it doesn't matter how many times I tell myself, no, Uh, my flesh will catch me asleep and be up walking in there and (laughs) Uh, catch me when my guard's down. The flesh is sneaky. It's good at it. If all you've got then is the law And the law had all of those rules don't, don't, don't. But it was of no value against subduing the flesh. Listen, only our faith in Jesus Christ can do that. And so there's not only the threat of the bad beliefs, but there was also the threat of the bad behavior that went along with it because it unleashed then those selfish desires those sinful tendencies, and brought them back under selfish living and sinful indulgence. Jesus talked about that in John chapter 8 when he said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed. We're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou then that you shall be made free? And Jesus answered Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever a sin is a servant. That's slave. Slave of sin. See, you don't think about it. But the freedom to sin is an illusion because sin puts you under bondage, takes you under control. It's sneaky like that because there's part of us that thinks, hey, I can handle this. I can quit any time I want. Yeah, try it. Try it. I'm in charge. No, you're not. Sin's already got you and you don't know it. Whatever you yield yourself to, it becomes your master, Jesus said. If you commit to sin, you yield yourself to sin. Then you're in bondage to sin. We hear a whole lot about freedom these days. All sorts of agendas are flying under that banner. But when you peel back a lot of the rhetoric that we hear in our culture, the heart of the matter is almost always the same. Freedom is defined as the ability or even the right, even the right to do whatever I want. Now, when we think of the Constitution of this country, there's a part of it known as the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights tells us that there are certain freedoms, freedoms that uh, are not to be infringed upon. Inalienable rights, they call them. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom to keep and bear arms. By declaring these things inalienable rights, then the Constitution tells us that we have the freedom, even the right to do them, The Constitution does not compel us to do them. You can't compel someone to be religious. You can't make somebody buy a gun and carry it if they don't want to. You can't make somebody speak their mind or tell you what's on their mind. You can't do it. But if you want to, you can and that's what the Constitution the Bill of Rights is all about. Now, I'm not here today to put that down in any way because I am very thankful for our constitutional form of government. But I'll tell you right now, the Constitution in this country is under attack by the same people who bring bringing the Scriptures under attack and for the same reasons. It stands in opposition uh, to the idea that I can do whatever I want to do. I have the freedom, and freedom means I can do something if I, I want to do it. But understand that biblically speaking, there's a whole other way of looking at freedom. In this case, it is set against the backdrop of the bondage of sin, the bondage to ourselves, the bondage to our own sinful desires, which inherently, by nature, by definition, are selfish and selfishly indulgent. We won't take the time to go there and read it this morning, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just jot that note quick and read it when you get home, when you get on. Paul talks about perilous times that are to come in the last days and we're living in those days right now. If you don't believe it, go read the list when you get on. But I'll tell you right now, there are two statements in that list of things, long list of things that people will be doing that will be prevalent in the culture in the last days. Two statements begin with the idea of lovers. Lovers uses that word. Number one, men will be lovers of themselves. That's number one. And then number two, the second time in the same text, he says there'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Twice, two inherent, deeply seated things that will be characteristics of this last days when perilous times will come is that people will be lovers of themselves and they will love their own pleasure more than they love God. Thus, we have in our text, verse thirteen. Galatians chapter 5, For brethren, you've been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. You see, there's the danger of the bad beliefs, but there's also the danger of bad behavior. And the first, bad beliefs, almost always leads to the second, bad behavior. You see, the flesh leads us to love ourselves and to love our pleasures. But the gospel of Jesus Christ leads us to love God and to love one another. That's a big, big difference. Here we are, we have stumbled, we've fallen, we've walked into a trap, somebody tripped us up, we were doing well, we were running well, but we've gone off track and now my my life looks like a train wreck. What do I do to fix it? If we're not careful, we'll be turning back to the very flesh that got us into this mess, thinking the flesh can get us out of it. But in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, we're told to have no confidence in the flesh. And Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 says, In my flesh nothing good dwells. You see, when we walk in the flesh, all we get is what the flesh can do. And the flesh will make a, take a perfectly big mess and make it messier. That's all the flesh can do. It'll take a bad situation and make it worse. And then make it worser. <laughs> and yeah, I know worser is not a word, but it makes a good point. We need to learn to walk again. We've been hindered. We've been cut down. We were, they were put back under the law. They were given bad beliefs. And it led them then into bad behavior. And what they needed to do was learn how to walk in the Spirit. I submit to you today, it's one of the most critical needs of Christians today. Right now in Cabot, Arkansas, we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. Because we get that great promise if you walk in the, in the Spirit, you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So let's talk about how this plays out. And the first thing he gives us is the, as the, there are things to avoid. We must avoid the abuse of liberty. Verse 13, We have been called into liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Peter gave us a great passage on this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16. As free, he says, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as a servants of God. When I read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16, it it reminds me of my former life as as, as a Star Trek fan. Uh, I used to love Star Trek. And you might remember the Klingon ships, uh, they had this cloaking device and they could just go invisible. And that's what I, what I think of when I think about using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. And the reason I think about it is because a lot of, a lot of Christians have a cloaking device. And, and they pull it out when they start sinning. We put our testimony light out. We don't want it shining while we're sinning. We don't want people to know we go to church and we take all that away you see our, our liberty can be turned into a cloak for sinful behavior He uses a military term in Galatians chapter 5 uh, where he talked about not allowing liberty to be an occasion for the flesh. It's like what happens when an army sets up a forward base and they use that base then in enemy territory to launch attacks against the enemy. And it gives them all the supplies that they need that can be delivered there at that base so they can go out and carry on the attack. And what Paul warns us about is that our liberty in Jesus Christ can become like a forward operations camp. We've given place to the devil, given place to sin, and we're allowing it to work. That's not what our liberty in Christ is intended to do. Jesus Christ did not go out and die on Calvary to leave us in bondage to sin. And so he says, avoid then the abuse of liberty. Don't let yourself be put in stealth mode. Don't turn out the light of your testimony. But instead, stand fast. And that's always the first thing. You say, well, Brother Rich, I've messed up. Hey, join the club. (laughs) Who doesn't mess up sometimes? Not me. Uh, Ask my wife, she'll tell you. All of us mess up. I've messed up. Does God still love me? You bet. Am I still saved? Absolutely. But you know what you need to do? You need to know how to stand again. You've been knocked off your feet. You might not need to go from just being down, walling around, messed up, to suddenly get out to run, and I'm going to engage the culture. No, you need to stand. Get your feet underneath you. Get solid again. Make sure that you know where you are, what you believe, what's true and what's not true. Stand. And then once you get your feet underneath you, then you can take a step or two. And before long, you'll be making progress again. And so the first thing is to avoid the abuse of liberty. And then the second thing is to apply the actions of our liberty. Verse 13b, But by love serve one another, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. What a great passage that is. Not going to spend a lot of time in verse 15. I've got a whole sermon I'll preach sometimes. I call Cannibal Christians. Uh, what happens when Christians turn cannibalistic and they start biting and devouring each other? Boy, it's not a pretty picture. But what Paul is talking about in this passage is what we call the royal law. It was what Jesus spoke of in Mark chapter 12 when he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the, the royal law, all the law, could be fit into those two things. The great commandment, love the Lord thy God. The second like unto it, love your neighbor. These two ideas in the love of God and the love of others are all over our text. Though the text actually doesn't mention the love of God. But we know that it is our love for God that enables us to love one another. So if we get back on our feet and we get to walking again, we need to stop the abuse of liberty, get out of self-mode, and then apply the basic principle of true freedom in Christ which is not the ability or right to do whatever we want, but the ability to, be, to do and be what God created us to do and be. I want you to know that our, our culture is devoted to a great belief. And if you want to know what's happening with our culture war right now, we're looking, watching out, uh, watching the playing out of two radically different belief systems. Uh, I want all you young people looking at me. And if you've got young children at home that you're raising, I want you to look and listen. Because I want you to know today, young people, you're being taught something that is not true. And it is so prevalent, so powerful. It comes to you every day in social media. And I know even right now while I'm talking to you that you look at your phone a whole lot more than you look at your Bible. You're listening a whole lot more to what your friends say and your news feeds say than you're listening to what God says. But I want you to know you're being taught a lie. And the lie is this. The lie says that you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. That is deeply, deeply ingrained in the culture in which we live. How much so? It is so deeply ingrained that it's coming down to the very fundamental elements of what it means to be people. You see, Mark chapter 10, Jesus said that in the beginning, God made us, Male and female. That's Mark chapter 10. They'd come to him, you see, asking him about marriage and divorce. He said, well, when you read, well, God in the beginning made him male and female. And he said, for this reason, shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's the way God made us. But today the culture is just pushing this agenda, and they're pushing it as hard as they can. You can be whatever you want to be. But is it true? Folks, if you're born a biological male, there are some things you will never be able to do. You can change your appearance. You can have a lot of surgery done. You can do a lot of things. But when it's all done, they take your blood test and do a DNA test. You know what? You're still going to show up biologically male. You say you can be anything you want, you can do anything you want. No, if you were born biologically male, let me tell you something you will never conceive a child. You'll never carry that child, never give birth to a child. It'll never happen. You can't do it. You can't. If you're born biologically female, you can never be a biological male. You can't can't what we need to understand i don't say this today to be mean or ugly or hateful because listen i don't hate people i love people but i do hate lies (laughs) and everything in me recoils in horror against this and we're, we're seeing this play out in our culture and it plays out all the time it's coming to us And what is it? It's the idea that you can be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. But as Christians, we have a whole different way of looking at things. Because for us, it's not about being what I want to be, but it's about being what God wants me to be. For us, it's not about doing what I want to do, it's about doing what God wants me to do. And it becomes a whole different way of looking at things because now I understand that when I went to the cross of Jesus Christ and received him as my Savior, I bowed before heaven's king, and now I'm a part of his kingdom. I answer to him. And my rule of life is not about doing what I want. It's not about fulfilling my desires It's not about being a lover of pleasure. It is about the fact that I love God and I'm thankful to Jesus Christ and I'm going to live my life to please Him. We have a different king than ourselves. And we understand that this whole thing comes about because Jesus said, when you're fulfilling the desires of the flesh, when you're going after these sinful pleasures and indulging them, you actually become a slave to them. You're a slave to yourself to your own flesh, and it rules over you ruthlessly. But Jesus Christ has another way of living, a life of freedom, not the freedom to do what you want and live how you want, but the freedom to be what God made you to be and to do what he wants you to do because he loves you. Paul gives us a great discussion of this. and Most of us learn this passage in Romans 6.23 when we were children. We learned it in in school down the hall over here somewhere if you were going to faith church. Or learned it in Bible school. Romans 6.23, 4. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 4. When you see a passage of Scripture that begins with that word for, it is an application of previously revealed truth. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life our, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's back up a little bit and read a few passages. Verse 16. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you being then made free from sin you became the servants of righteousness i speak after the manner of men for the, because of the infirmity of your flesh but as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and to holiness for when you were the servants of sin you were free from righteousness What fruit had you then in those things whereof you're now shamed? That's our Dr. Phil moment. How'd that work out for you? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a passage <laughs> when you see it in its context. It's not bad that we take it out of context and use it to try to tell people how to be saved. But when we see it in its context, it takes on such a deeper meaning for us. We yield to righteousness. We yield to right living. This reveals itself in us, not with a selfish devotion to our own satisfaction, with reckless disregard to what it does or who it hurts, but a selfless devotion to God, constantly aware that whatever I do affects others. And in love, we want to be able to bless them and not harm them. In a simple way, this plays out for us and reminding us it isn't enough to say no to the flesh. We must also say yes to the Spirit. And when we say yes to the Spirit, then we've taken that first step. We've stand, we're standing, we understand that the flesh is not the answer. The first step is when we say yes, yes to the Spirit. Christian life will never be ultimately defined by what it doesn't do, but by what it does. I want to sh- uh, close out today with a couple of stories from my hometown. I, g- I grew up in Taylor, Arkansas. Just, uh, we were right on the edge of town, and there was a huge block of timber just out to uh, the west, uh, northeast uh, west of us. And uh, it went for several miles, huge block of timber. As a lot of places were in south Arkansas, it was mostly pines. The pines used to be cotton. And, in fact, you could still see the rose when you walked out there but then there were little creek bottoms all around through there, and the creeks were full of hardwood. In One of those places, it was an old house place. My dad told me one time who used to live there, but I've forgotten. It was long, long ago. There were no houses, no buildings left. All that was left there was an old pen. There was still a little bit of, of woven wire fence, a fence post or two wrapped around the trees. When I was a boy, that woven wire fence was still there. Last time I went back just a few years ago, you know, every time the flood came, it took a little bit more of that old pen, whatever it was, took a little more of it away. The last time I was there, I could only find uh, one fence post. Now, the big, big old pin oak trees were still there, and there were still squirrels in them, too, by the way. But uh, um, the old fence was all gone. All that was left was one old fence post. Wasn't doing anything, just standing there, just an old fence post. You know, that fence post didn't get drunk. It, it didn't do drugs. It didn't do anything wrong. But it wasn't doing anything right either. It was just standing there kind of as a testimony. Something big used to happen here. See, the Christian life is not just about what we don't do. And it's not enough just to say, no, I'm not going to do these things. What are we going to do? And that's what's really going to define our Christian life. That's what walking in the spirit is all about. We're constantly being pulled in these negative directions, but what will we do? Our life doesn't enjoy a vacuum very much. What will we do if we're not doing these bad things? What will we do? And do you understand then why our spiritual disciplines are important? Why going to church and studying the Bible and spending that time in prayer? Instead of just locking in on some old something. Something coming across our newsfeed, Some other game. Something else to grab our attention. Can we lock on to the Word of God, who we are in Jesus Christ, and learn then to walk in the Spirit? I was gullible, I guess, when I was a kid. Most kids are gullible. For a while, we were obsessed with Superman. And I really wanted to fly. Any of you kids ever wanted superpowers? I had a cousin who told me that if you'd eat mimosa beans, you could fly like Superman. You know what mimosa beans are? You ever seen a mimosa tree? I thought I'd give it a try, and I did. Climbed up on that swing set. I didn't just jump off with the intention of hitting the ground. I mean, I I'd bl- I'd, I was 100% indoors. I just threw out there, stretched my arms out, gonna fly like Superman, and I did a belly flop on that hard ground in Magnolia, Arkansas. I did it. Knocked the breath out of me when I could walk and start and breathe again. I started screaming. Went to the house. Oh, what's wrong with well, I told them that. My cousin told me that if I'd eat mimosa beans, I could fly like Superman. He got a whipping. and I didn't mean for that to happen. Of course, the next question is were, were they poison? So Mama Googled it. <laughs> no, she didn't. No. Uh, they had some question about whether they needed to take me to the doctor. They finally decided they'd just watch for the night and see if anything happened. And uh, nothing did. And all these many years I've, I'm still alive, but I hadn't been right since. <laughs> 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 if you ever wondered, now you know. You know, you don't have to listen to young people. You don't have to eat mimosa, but don't eat mimosa beans. That's number one. All you folks watching home, don't do it. Just don't. It probably won't hurt you, but don't do it. If you want to fly like Superman, all you have to do is put your headphones on, plug in your phone. Part of your mind maybe still knows that it's not real, but part of your body doesn't. They don't know. And in a few years, as technology keeps advancing, we only wonder about how the difference between the real world and the virtual world is somehow going to be lost. And the virtual world may become more real to you than the real world is. You see, in the virtual world, you can be whatever you want to be. You understand? In the virtual world... You can do whatever you want to do. Part of your mind knows that it's not right. Part of your mind knows that it's not real. But your body don't know. And then when you're hooked and you can't stop, you understand that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Whoever you yield your body to becomes your master. Master. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to leave us in bondage to sin. He calls us to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The cancel culture is real. It's coming after everything that stands in its way. It's rooted now. Remember, it's rooted in this doctrine, this thing they believe 100%. You can do whatever you want to do, and you can be whatever you want to be. I'm personally convinced that's why they're making sports a target right now. And they are. Because sports serves as a constant reminder that that's not the truth. (laughs) Listen, I played basketball as a kid. There's no telling how many bleachers I had to run and no telling how many benches I jumped and no telling how many hours I spent wearing leg weights. And you know what? I never did get a 40-inch vertical. Some of you don't know what a 40-inch vertical is. (laughs) Uh, that, uh, there was a guy I heard about in high school. I can't remember his name. I think it was Isaiah Thomas. I might be wrong. Had a four, they said he had a 40-inch vertical. I mean, from a standing side, he could jump four. Man, if I jumped really hard back in those days, I might get 14. I mean, I was never going to run 40, a uh, 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 four-flat 40. I couldn't do it. Athletics reminds us that everybody don't make the team. Athletics reminds us that everybody don't get to play. Everybody don't win. Everybody don't. And and so the cancel culture is not real happy with athletics either. Just like they're not happy with the Constitution. They're not happy with Christianity either. The real question is, how far are they going to go? And if you're honest, and you folks at home are honest, we'll all admit, they've already gone a lot further than we ever dreamed that they would. So on the one hand, we're in the midst of this competing belief system. Can you be whatever you want to be? Can you do whatever you want to do? But as Christians, as Christians, we march to the beat of a different drum. As Christians, we want to be what God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. And what gives us the information that we need is right here in this book where God revealed his word to us, where he told us what we are, what we need to be. And it all plays out for us as we walk in the spirit. Maybe you're in this service today and you're struggling. I want you to know right up front, I'm not mad at you. I'm not. I care about you. If you're struggling. Hey, we know what it means to Struggle. You need a power beyond yourself. I've got good news for you. There's one available. It is a mighty spirit of God. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, he comes and lives in you. So that it's not just about your flesh anymore, but it's right there. The presence and power of the spirit of God lives in your life so that you can know what is right and what's wrong so that you can do then what God wants you to do and be what God wants you to be. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Let's stand together, please.